Perfect. Okay, so um, I want to talk about, uh, and this is going to be titled, Jesus is Lord. Okay, um, super, super obvious truth, but I want to present it in a different way that brings a little bit more clarity to, um, to this truth. Okay, um, we see throughout all of scripture that Jesus is Lord, right? Um, this is this is obvious. Um, this is why we do this thing called the home. This is why we care about the bride. This is why um, we were placed on this earth is to make sure that everybody knows Jesus is Lord. Um, and I want to talk about how we view Him. Right? We we know this truth, but do we actually apply it to our lives? Um, how do we actually approach Jesus differently when we? when we acknowledge this truth over our lives, that he is Lord, okay? Um, sometimes we fall into habit of just saying something so much that we, we actually think that we believe it. Uh, I hope that makes sense. But like, I, I, I had this weird thought, and uh, don't judge me too hard for the weird thought, because it is really weird. But I started thinking like, yes, I believe that the sky is blue, but why do I believe that? You know, is it just because someone who I trusted told me that the sky is blue? Or is it because other people say that the sky is blue? And what if it's actually not blue? Right? I, I know it's kind of a weird thought, and I, I know it's kind of silly, but maybe think about it this way, and it'll help, help uh, kind of illustrate more of what I'm trying to communicate is, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord, but why? Right? Is it because somebody I trusted told me that he's Lord? Or is it just because other people say that he's Lord? And I've just fallen into this cycle of like, okay, well, he must be Lord. And I'm just going to fall in suit because everybody around me, there's this group of people that I get along with and they call him Lord. So I might as well call him Lord. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. So I want to look at some scripture tonight and talk through the truth of Jesus being Lord. And, you know, we've always said that talk is cheap. Um, and I can fake and say all the right things to almost fool myself of what I think is true. Right? Um, tonight, I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Lord over your life. Not just because I say so, not because Madison says so, not because Blake, Andrew, Jaden, Juliet, all of the people in this room say so, but because you know so, okay? Um, and how that truth actually influences and leads my life, okay? Sound good? Thank you. Good, good. Turn to Mark 9. Mark chapter 9, and we'll be in verse 1. We're going to be in, um, we're going to be in a couple of different areas in Scripture. Um, they're all in the Gospels, so it'll make it super easy for us. Cool? Okay. Actually, we'll start in verse 2, just because that's a better break. Cool? So Mark 9, verse 2. Um, and we'll read to six. It reads, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. 
And when he transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Verse 4. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, and they were terrified. Okay, so we've talked about this before at the home, but if you don't know this, um, this is the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, it's a really beautiful really beautiful moment of Jesus's life and in scripture, um, but it's not what we're really going to be focusing on. I really want to focus on this one word that Peter speaks, and it's this word, rabbi. Okay, I want you to write rabbi in your notes real quick. Okay, so Jesus, James, John, and Peter go to a mountain, see Jesus transfigured before them. And the crazy thing, after all has settled, Peter calls Jesus a rabbi. Okay? And this is fascinating to me. Um, I, I did a little bit of study of what it takes to be a rabbi and what a rabbi actually means. Um, it's a pretty big deal. I, I'm sure Julia could tell us more about it because of her study. But um, rabbi is actually a person who is a high teacher of the Jewish religion. Okay? He is, he is the upper echelon of Jews. Okay? Um, he is essentially, with, I, I say this loosely, he's almost the leader of the Jewish uh, religion. Um, he, he studies Torah, um, and rabbis go through around six years of study to be considered a rabbi. Okay, six years. Um, and that's, you know, that's a lot of school, especially after they grew up through an entire other school system, and then they're going into rabbi school. That's what we'll call it. Okay, um, rabbis need to be an expert in Hebrew, in Jewish law, in Jewish history, in the Bible, in the Talmud, in the liturgy, in Jewish teaching methods, in counseling, in Jewish literature, ethics, Israel, Jewish philosophy, and pretty much everything Jewish. Okay? Um, it's amazing. There's a whole lot of knowledge that a, that a rabbi actually does carry. Okay? And last but not least... They also need to have the Torah me memorized, okay? The Torah consists of the, some of the harder books of the Bible, okay? Um, and they are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, okay? Um, if you have read some of those, they're tough. Okay, I'm just gonna, you know... This is a safe place. I feel like I can say that to you guys. They are tough, okay? Leviticus, tough book of the Bible. Numbers, tough book of the Bible. Um, and they have to memorize them. Okay? So, it's very interesting. So, a rabbi is a very serious leader, right? A very, very good teacher, very well-versed in what they believe, right? 
okay? And when rabbi is mentioned in scripture, they usually are calling that person a master of Torah or a great teacher of Torah, which again is those first five books in the Bible, okay? So I want you to keep that in mind as we talk through all of this, okay? Whenever we see good teacher, great teacher, rabbi in scripture, this is what those people are referring to Jesus as, okay? We're going to look at a couple of different scriptures on, um, on what this actually means, okay? So um, keep, that, keep that all in mind. Any questions around that before we move on? Good. Okay. Um, so a rabbi is very well educated and very qualified to teach the truth from a Jewish lens, but would never consider themselves worthy of being followed or laying some, uh, or worthy of somebody laying their life down to follow them. Okay. Does that make sense? Cool. Can you say that one more time? Yeah, let me read it again. A rabbi is a very well-educated and very qualified uh, and is very, very qualified to teach truth from a Jewish lens, but would never consider themselves worthy of being followed or having somebody lay their life down to follow them. And I really want to make sure I'm giving a very good backdrop of what a rabbi is so that we understand what people are actually saying about Jesus when they call him a rabbi. Okay? So don't just, oh, it's a bunch of Old Testament mumbo-jumbo. No, it's very, very important that we understand the backdrop so that we can actually understand what is happening when people are calling Jesus rabbi. Okay? So we see... At the, in this passage of Mark 9, that Peter calls him rabbi, and this stands out a little bit, because this is Peter, right? This is Peter, like, uh, delivering one of the most epic sermons of all time on the day of Pentecost. That's this guy who's calling Jesus a good teacher. That's it. Just the good teacher, right? And yeah, this is early on in the Gospels, so, you know, we can... We can use that as a as a uh, excuse for Peter, and I think he would say the same thing if we were to ask him today, because his ver his verbiage will change, which we'll see um, as we move on. Okay, so Peter is viewing Jesus here as just a good teacher, and then it's it almost solidifies that belief in him when Elijah and Moses appear on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? All very good Jewish men of God, right? Babe, could we... What is up with her? Oh my gosh. She's driving me nuts. Hey, pull it together. I can't hear her at all, so if it's not bothering us. Well, I'm glad it's not bothering you. I saw it. <laughs> you can't hear it. <laughs> okay. Just... She's still disruptive, even though we're not together. Okay, so um, Peter's viewing Jesus here as just a good teacher and then sees two other incredible teachers um, appear um, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, does this all make sense so far? Yeah. All They're all very good men of God 
and all very worthy of being called rabbis. And then Peter says, let's make tents or altars so that we can remember what happened here. Okay? So let's keep on going, um, and I will kind of tie that back up at the end. And Jaden, if I don't, please remind me like you always do. Okay? Cool. Now turn to Luke 18, 18. Can you, like, go shut the blinds or something? Does she need to pee? I don't know. This is why we can't have kids yet. Anybody ever ask why we can't have kids? This is why. She is driving me nuts. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 18, 18. Eighteen. Eighteen. Cool. All right, this is another familiar story, but uh, I just want to read kind of the first line and to keep this keep this uh, train moving. Okay. So Luke eighteen eighteen says, and a ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay. And we know how this story goes on. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus says, hey, abide by my commandments. He says, I already have done all those things. Then Jesus says, hey, why don't you go sell all your things and give it to the poor? And then the guy walks away sad and doesn't do it, right? Okay, um, so uh, you can see this conflict. You can see this conflict that this this ruler is having, right? Um, and First, he calls him a good teacher, which, uh, like we learned, is a rabbi, and then asks about eternal life. Okay? Do we see the conflict here? First of all, he doesn't understand he, that he is talking to eternal life, right? <laughs> he doesn't understand that, but he, he is saying, I understand that you teach very well, and you obviously understand something that I don't. Okay? So, um, he didn't view Jesus as eternal life and was asking to be taught from a rabbi on how to get to heaven. This is, this man, and you know, kind of as we kind of dig up some things here, we, we see his heart of, um, of what he's trying to accomplish here, right? All this man is trying to accomplish is how do I get eternal life, Right? That's all, that's his entire motive for coming up to Jesus. How do I get eternal life? Right? And it's almost as if this man is looking for a punch list on how to get to heaven, um, not the one that is, that, I'll say this loosely, but not the one who is heaven, right? Um, isn't that kind of interesting? Right? I think we, we come across this tension all the time in our lives of, okay, I want to get to heaven. And, you know, we're almost looking for Jesus to affirm what we've already done so that it seems like we will get to heaven. Right? This guy is, he, Jesus lists off all of his commands, and then the guy's like, oh, great, I've done all those things. Right? As if it's a punch list as if that's the only thing that you need to do in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven, right? And Jesus throws kind of the wrench into the lake and says, well, no, you actually have to get rid of all of the things that you hold higher than me and then give it away, right? 
How often do we do the same thing? You see, this man was looking for a to-do-the-right-things playlook to get to heaven, right? Is that us? Are we just looking for a, a self-help book or a Christianity book, that not the Bible, but like some book that says, hey, this 10 ways to get to heaven. And we get to just knock those off the list every single time because that's what this guy is looking for. Are we looking to do the same thing, right? Little did this man know that the way, the truth, the life was standing right in front of him. I've seen myself do all this, all do this all the time, right? I want to do all the right, do all the right things to unlock something else, right? Have you guys fallen into this trap? Have you guys seen yourselves do this? I want to just do all the right things to unlock this breakthrough over my life, to unlock this um, this eternal life over my life, to unlock this this knowledge over my life, this whatever over my life, and I just make it up into this list and this punch list, and that's how I fall into the kingdom of heaven by coincidence, when all we actually need is Jesus, right? Does that all make sense? We see the same exact, same, same exact thing happen in Luke 10 as well. So if you want to read Luke 10 as well, and you'll see the same exact thing. Um, but don't go there. Go to Matthew 12. <clears throat> I love Matthew 12. Um, okay, so this uh, Matthew 12, verse 38, if you, uh, if you would. And again, just going to read the one verse... Um, we've, we've already studied this recently, so I don't need to go too in-depth, but I want to capture in verse 38 what they're calling him, okay? And then kind of see what this looks like today and what they're actually trying to accomplish, okay? So Matthew 12, 38, it reads, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Okay. Now, this is the Pharisees and the Sadducees addressing Jesus as a rabbi, right? As a good teacher. Um, and they are still, again, stating and acknowledging um, his knowledge in Jewish law and in Torah, but nothing else, correct? And I think it's almost why Jesus replies the way he does. You know, in, as it continues in verse 39, it says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Isn't that interesting? Like, that's against everything my, my signs and wonders, um, my signs and wonders self wants to believe, right? But I think there's a reason Jesus is saying this to the group of people that he's saying it to. An evil, an evil people just keeps on looking for a sign. People were viewing him for less than he is, and I believe Jesus is trying to prove a point here, right? People and the Pharisees were constantly seeking for a sign or for Jesus to prove himself. 
Hey, Jesus, prove that you are Messiah. Hey, Jesus, prove that you are the Son of God. Prove and make me believe that you are who you say you are. And I'm going to continue to call you good teacher until that happens, right? Um, do we do the same thing? <laughs> right? How often does this sound like us? Right? Well, well, Jesus, you need to prove yourself again to me today. Show me a sign. Show me that you actually have authority for today. Right? How often do we approach the Lord in that way with our prayers, day in and day out? I fall into it, so I think I'm not speaking just on my own behalf. I think all of us fall into this of like, Jesus, prove yourself to me again. Show me a sign again. And almost like we view Jesus as an entertainer. We view him as like an entertainer when we do this. Entertain me again. Show me who you are again. Wow me again, Jesus. And like I said, don't get me wrong, I love signs and wonders, but I love Jesus way more. Right? And I think that's, that's what we need to be at. Right? I am always going to strive after signs and wonders. Right? But I need to strive after Jesus first and foremost. And I've gotten to this point, not in, yeah, I'll, I'll just say it. I've gotten to this point, I, well, I would still believe Jesus is Lord for all he did in Scripture and from him raising from the dead, and that's enough for me. Right? If he never did something again over my entire life, would I still claim him as Lord? Right? And we hear this argument all the time from church to church, from believer to believer, like, oh, you guys, you, you signs and wonders people just are always seeking for another breakthrough. And yeah, I, I see a lot of people who are just, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for another breakthrough. I need another breakthrough. I need Jesus to do something for me. And it's, I think we fall into this trap that the Pharisees and Sadducees fell into, where what we're actually saying is, Jesus, I need you to prove yourself again to me. And how slippery of a slope is that, right? The amazing thing is he, he, he still does it today, right? He still does all the signs and wonders today. But that's besides the point. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He wasn't saying, you, all of you people who search for signs and wonders are stupid. No, he was saying, hey, if you don't view me as Lord first, then you're stupid, <laughs> Right? and you're an evil and adulterous generation if you continue just to make me an entertainer and make me prove myself to you. Do we view Jesus as someone to entertain us and almost prove himself as a rabbi and worthy of being followed every day? It's scary, right? I believe that this is a really scary, scary spot to fall into because there's zero acceptance of lordship here, right? It's more of I am God and asking Jesus to serve me and not us serve him. 
right? When I'm just hungry for the next breakthrough, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm almost being bossy to Jesus, right? Similar to what we kind of talked about, not to exclude anybody, but similar to what we talked about on uh, Monday. It's like, hey, if I, view G- if I view God as my servant, I'm always going to be frustrated, disappointed, and confused. But if I view myself as a servant of God, I will constantly be amazed, right? Okay. Does that make sense? He's not an entertainer. He's not some clown, you know? He's not up on a soapbox doing magic and juggling tricks for us and here to just entertain us and prove himself to us. He's God, right? He's Lord. Does that make sense? Cool. Cool, cool. Now go to, um, this will be our second to last one. Then go to Matthew 26. Then we'll be in verse 48. So, so far we've gotten to see Peter, right? Calling him rabbi. We've gotten to see the Pharisees and Sadducees calling him rabbi. And now I want to look at one of the disciples who calls him rabbi. Okay? And I'm going to kind of tell this story backwards a little bit. Okay? So, Matthew 26, 48 um, and 49 reads, Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying that one, I, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. Verse 49. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Greetings, Rabbi. So this is a tough one, right? No, we don't ever like talking about the betrayal of Jesus because it always makes us feel uneasy, um, <laughs> you know. And something about this really, really hit me um, as I was preparing this. Is like, this is the betrayal of Jesus, and Ju- and and Judas comes up to him and says, "Greetings, Rabbi." Right, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Okay, so, and I, as I got to kind of dwelling on this scripture and kind of asking the Lord what he wanted to reveal to me through this, it was that Judas had something to gain here. And the way he approached Jesus was rabbi, and he had something to gain. And as we know, Judas was one of the 12 disciples. He walked with, walked with Jesus you know, ate with Jesus, laughed with Jesus, and here he is betraying Jesus and calling Jesus rabbi. Again, Judas is at least stating his earthly authority, but not his heavenly authority. Okay? Judas had something to gain here. Judas was stating Jesus' earthly authority but not his heavenly authority, okay? Judas had something to gain here. He called Jesus and followed Jesus to gain something, right? At the time of the betrayal, it was to gain money, right? He gained those, whatever, 30 silver coins, whatever that equates to, you know? He was 
in it to gain something for his own good. Okay? Um, but prior to that, I, I can't speak to that because it doesn't say anything, you know. But he approached Jesus with a kiss and then called him rabbi. Okay. So, this is kind of where I'm going to tie a bow on everything and it's going to just be like, wow, Lex. Okay? So, he approached Jesus with a kiss and then called him rabbi. Okay? How often do we do the same exact thing? A kiss is very affectionate, correct? You don't just go up and kiss random people, right? You have to kind of get to know them, hopefully. Um, <laughs> you know, hopefully. So uh, it's affectionate. Something that you share with somebody that you are into. Yes? You don't, yeah, like I said, you don't just go around smooching on people, okay? But how often do we do the same thing with Jesus? We Do we just act affectionate to gain something towards him? Right? Do we just go and, and act really affectionate to gain something from, from the others who we think are watching us? And we say the right things to act really in love with Jesus. Or do we show a level of affection in our worship that we don't show in our prayer life and quiet time? Do we approach Jesus just to gain something? Isn't that interesting? There's like an ulterior motive behind everything when we don't call him Lord. When we just acknowledge him as an earthly teacher, we, we just kind of suffocate the fullness of who he is, and it, it then turns into, I'm going glorify to my, glorify myself out of this, right? Rabbi, or sorry, the Pharisees and Sadducees just wanted people to take them seriously and wanted to tear down this Jesus because they they, Jesus was coming against what they believed as truth, Right? Okay, so now go, go back in um, Matthew 26 to verse 20 to 25. Okay? And I just want to read this, and then um, I'll, I'll kind of tie a bow on it, okay? When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. So Jesus was reclined at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Okay? Uh, so kind of a buzzkill, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm at the table with Jesus, and now he's dropping this bomb on us of somebody's going to betray. Um, but it continues, verse 22. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? Okay, let me pause there, and then we'll pick back up. Okay, so this is cool, right? One after another, they start saying, Is it I, Lord? You know? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Right? Do we see the different word here? Lord. Yeah? Do we see it? Do we see it? Are we excited about it? Right? Is it I, Lord? Do you think any of those people are going to be the one who betrayed Jesus. No, right? 
Of course not. That would be silly because they view him as Lord, right? Cool. Well, let's keep on reading. 22? Nope. 23. And then Jesus answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes, it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man to have not been born. Holy crap. Okay, so here's here's what's at stake, okay? Here's what's at stake with the way Judas is about to reply. Are you ready? Then Judas, who would betray him, right? Matthew had to throw in that little zinger, right? (laughs) Do you see that? I think it's just funny the way they write it. (laughs) Nobody else thinks it's funny. Okay. Oh, thanks, Blake. Thanks, Blake. Yeah, cool. Okay. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus answers, You have said so. Whoa. Okay. Do you see it? Do you see what the what um what is happening here, right? So let's let's wrap this up. All the disciples go around the table, right? One after another. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Except for one dude. And that one dude named Judas says, "Is it I, Rabbi?" So this is what's at stake here. It's better for somebody not to have been born. Heavy, yeah? That's a little bit in your face. A little bit, um, okay, you just shot a bow and arrow into my chest and it hurts a little bit, yeah? This is what's at stake. Betrayal, rabbi, Lord, not, right? Does that make sense? And we see when we posture our hearts towards lordship with Jesus, we are destined for a vibrant relationship in Jesus. Or I should better, I, I, I could say that better, with Jesus. Okay? So we talked all about the root of rabbi in different scriptures, but when we read the last one, is it I, rabbi? This is a heart setting. Right? I mean, he just heard 11 guys He just heard 11 guys before him say, is it I, Lord? And he still said, is it I, Rabbi? Isn't that fascinating? Right? The truth always comes manifest, right? We can say all day long that Jesus is Lord of my life. But the truth will always become evident when we actually speak from our heart. When we say rabbi, it's a heart setting. Judas didn't accept Jesus as Lord over his life. He only accepted him as a teacher of truth. Not a Jesus who loves, who cares, who shows compassion. And when we view Jesus for less than he is, we will only view him as a good teacher or a rabbi. It's dangerous waters, right? It's very, very dangerous. And I know this is probably making us feel a little uneasy, you know? It's like, okay, now I'm second-guessing everything. No, that's why I'm bringing this up, right? 
That's why I'm bringing this up. Is like, how are we viewing Jesus over our lives? Because I think this is so important. If we just view him as a good teacher and I can, I can learn some things to apply to my life in this scripture instead of learn um, who Jesus is, I think we're missing the point. If Jesus just is for me and I'm not for him, I'm missing the point, right? We are living, breathing people who are supposed to glorify Jesus, not just supposed to learn from him. Learning from him is just a perk, right? We get to learn and apply things to our life, and that's, that's a great perk, right? But if that's the foundation of our livelihood, I'm sorry, we're missing the point of the lordship of Jesus over our lives. Does that make sense? Yeah? Cool. All right. And like I said, we're going to loop it all the way back around. Go to Mark 9. We'll go back to the transfiguration story, and I want to highlight one thing that happens on that Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, so Peter acknowledges him as rabbi. It's good that we're here. Let's make three tents. Um, And then... Verse 7, this is huge. And I believe that this is when Peter started acknowledging him as Lord. And James and John. Okay, but Peter was the one who spoke up first. That's why I said Peter first. Okay, so verse 7, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. Okay, so this must be a pretty big deal if the cloud is talking, correct? (laughs) Okay, cool. And God says... This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I don't know about you guys. I don't need any more evidence that Jesus is Lord. I don't need to be convinced any other way than that. You know... There's other things that happen in the Old Testament that I could also pull from, you know, that the Lord used a donkey to talk, you know, uh, the Lord used a burning bush to talk, the Lord led people by a pillar of smoke, um, all of these things, yeah, that, yeah, we kind of diminish them because they're like almost fairy tale stories in our mind uh, because we don't om- almost accept them because they're Old Testament. Yeah, I know, I understand, I did the same thing, but... When we see New Testament stuff like this, we have to acknowledge it, right? Uh, This is huge. A cloud speaks and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Do you understand the lordship here? Do you understand that the pedestal that Jesus is actually on, even in his father's eyes? Like, that should kind of stir something in us, right? This is, this is, one of the times that this happens, right? The other time is when Jesus gets baptized. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Again, the skies open up kind of thing and boom, a big booming voice is the way I envision it, speaks and then wham, that's all the evidence I need. But then he keeps on going and says, well, I'm going to actually die. I'm going to be in the ground and then I'm going to raise. Okay, game, set, and match, that's all the evidence I need, right? But then he keeps on going. <laughs> like all of these things, he, he just, 
His whole entire purpose, Jesus' entire purpose is saying, acknowledge me as Lord. Right? A Jewish rabbi is somebody who is hoping and dreaming of a Messiah. That's, they've dedicated their entire lives of knowing when Messiah is coming, what he's going to look like, what he's going to say, all of these different things. If all the prophetic lines up, everything, it screams Jesus. Does this make sense? Jesus is Lord. And if I view him as anything less, I'm actually suffocating the intensity that he could have over my life and the amount of glory that I could bring him. Does that make sense? I think it's super, super important, and we need to have these, these kind of checks along the way of like, okay, am I using Jesus as something to gain? Right? I, 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 I won't elaborate too much on this one, but um, I, I've seen all the time where people just want to use Jesus so that they can get a job right? It's scary. They just use Jesus because, well, I'm talented in this area, and now I'm just going to go and do this. And it's a slippery, slippery slope when we just try to use Jesus, or when we try to impress others by the workings of Jesus in our lives, right? It's a slippery, slippery slope, and we need to guard ourselves from that so that we don't follow in, fall into it, and we know who we can and can't trust who's speaking about Jesus, right? A lot of people talk about Jesus but have never met him, <laughs> right? Whether they're believers or non-believers, right? A lot of people talk about Jesus and have no idea who he is. I don't want to be that person. I don't want you guys to be that person. I know you don't want to be that person. Jesus is not something to use, Jesus is not just Jesus is not just for a bumper sticker on our car. Jesus is not just for fancy writing on our shirt. Jesus is for a life that's laid down. Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. Right? He's not just a rabbi foretelling him about a a different guy, you know? That's what they're saying. When everybody is calling him rabbi, they're just saying, oh, this guy knows what's up, and, you know, Messiah must be coming. He's not one of them. He is Messiah. Messiah means the Son of God, the Son of Man, the promised one. And that's who Jesus is. He's not just somebody who studied the Torah. He's the one who wrote it. Isn't that cool? That's who we get to serve. That's who we get to lay our lives down for. That's who we get to be in relationship with. You know, when I hear the word Lord, or when I heard the Lord, the word Lord back in the day, I was like, well, that's very egocentric of him, you know? He's very egotistical of him, right? He's just, man, God, you're kind of full of yourself, huh? No, it's just like, Hey, he's God, so he has every right. Same thing with Jesus. He has every single right. And I love that all of those guys around that table said, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? 
Is it I, Lord? What that actually is, uh, what that actually is modeling towards us is checking ourselves, making sure that my heart is actually speaking. What, uh, uh, my, making sure that my heart is actually speaking, not just putting this filter of I have something to prove, so I'm going to say this, right? If I don't know who Jesus is, I, there's no way in hell I'm going to try to tell somebody about him, right? If I think Jesus is just a rabbi or a really good teacher or, or a very good ethical person that I can learn good morals from, okay, you're suffocating 99.9% um, uh, of him, <laughs> right? That's only just an itsy-bitsy sliver of who Jesus is. Jesus is the same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead and the same Jesus who's going to raise us from the dead so that we go into heaven. That's pretty cool. That's somebody who's worthy of being Lord. Worthy of laying my life down for. Does that make sense? So Jesus is Lord. He's not just a rabbi. He's not a just good teacher. He's Lord. Cool?